Well, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. We are about to get into the Word. Um, I want to start off, though, I want to start off by asking you guys a question this morning for you to really truthfully consider about yourself and your own heart. If you are a Christian, what brought you to Jesus? What brought you to, to believe in Christ in the first place? And maybe you're not a Christian, you just go to church, you're here this morning, what brings you to church? I know we have a variety of reasons, a variety of stories and testimonies. Maybe for you, you first came to Jesus because, because of your child. I know a lady personally who, she had a toddler. They weren't churchgoers at all, but she had a toddler son. And this son was a monster, a monster. And so, like, he would go to these preschools, and literally he, get, he got kicked out of about two or three preschools because they just couldn't control him. And they said, we, we can't handle this kid. And so he got kicked out. And finally, she found this church preschool. It was a Christian-run church preschool. And she told the director, she says, listen, I just got to give you a warning. My kid has gotten kicked out already from other preschools. He's really hard. Uh, to, to control, and he has a hard time getting along with other kids. I just want to let you know, so if you have problems, just let me know. I understand. Director says, okay. Well, about a week or two goes by, a week or two goes by, and the director sees the, the mom again, and the director goes, oh, you scared us. Like, when you told us about your son, we thought he was the devil, but he is an angel. Like, he is so well-behaved. She's like, really, my son? They're like, yeah, he's so good. He gets along with all the kids. And that mom saw this as a God thing. This must be a God thing. And so they thought if this church preschool works for our kid, then this church works for us. And the family together decided to start attending that church because of their child. Maybe you came because of a reason surrounding your child. But maybe you came for another reason. Maybe you came because of a relationship. I, I know a girl from our, my previous college group, and uh, she came to church, and one day she shows up with this guy that I've never seen before. Next week he comes back, and I, I found out that he, he came because she said, I only want to date a Christian guy, and, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to get into a relationship with you unless you're a Christian. And guys, Amen to this? Love makes you do crazy things. Amen? Boom! He's a Christian like that, and he just starts coming to church every Friday, every Sunday. And, and honestly, praise God, he started getting really involved in the church. He started coming faithfully. He, he got really connected. And maybe that's you. Maybe you came because of a relationship. Or maybe you came to Jesus because of some answered prayer. Maybe it was a dramatic answered prayer. Maybe it was very simple. Remember years ago, there was a baptism ceremony at my previous church, and we're listening to these people giving their testimonies, and this one lady shares about how she was seeking God. She's wondering if God was real, and, and one day she decided to put it to the test. She said, I was out fishing with a bunch of people on this boat, and everybody was casting, but nobody was catching. Nobody had any luck that day. And she, she said this. This is what I said to God. I said, God, show me that you're real. Give me a sign. Give me a sign that you are here with me and you hear my prayers. And she says, 
moments after that, she feels this tug on her, on her rod, and she starts reeling it in, and she reels it in, and not only did she catch the only fish on the boat that day, it was the biggest fish of her life, and she said, that day, that sealed it for me. I knew that God was real. This was a sign that he was hearing my prayers and that he was in my life. Maybe you came because of an answered prayer. I, I want to ask you, what brought you to Jesus, or what brings you to church? And I want you to keep that question in mind as we go throughout this message, because we're going to bring that up again. But this weekend, we close this series, Jesus is Not Enough. If you're new with us today, throughout the past six weeks, we've been showing you from Scripture, no, Jesus is enough. And yet the world tells us, the culture tells us this lie that he isn't. So today we close the series, Jesus is Not Enough. But today is also... If you don't know, it's Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the first day of the last week of Jesus' life before he died on that cross. And, and Palm Sunday launches that, that special week that we know as Passion Week. Passion Week. That week that led Jesus to the cross on that Good Friday. Today I want to show you how multitudes of people flocked. Crowds of people flocked to Jesus on that particular Palm Sunday only to conclude that Jesus was not enough. So I want to turn you to John chapter 12 this morning. If you would flip in your Bibles to John chapter 12 or flip on your phones or tablets, we're going to be in John chapter 12. And as we prepare to read the word, I want to ask, would you join me in prayer and ask the Lord to lead us into this word? Let's pray. So, God, we just want to stop, and we want to ask that you would go before us right now, God. We don't want uh, just a man to lead us into truth. We, we want your Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. So, God, go before us. And, Lord, I know, I know, I prepared this message. I know it's not a motivational speech, but it's a message that's going to get us to question our motives. And I pray that uh, we would leave here not feeling condemned or guilty, but we would be convicted and full of joy. Lord, fix our eyes on Jesus. God, I, I, this may be one of the most important messages I can possibly give. I think it's a matter of life and death, and so, Lord, I pray that you would keep all distraction away, that you would keep the enemy at bay. Lord, help us to hear from you in a powerful way this morning. Lord, I pray that nothing I say would be successful, nothing I preach would be successful, that it wouldn't be memorable, that it wouldn't even be said unless it's true and it's from you. So Lord, we give you this time and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So before we get to Palm Sunday, let me set it up for you by taking you to the Saturday night before that. John chapter 12, the day is Saturday, March 28th, AD 33. And here's what John says, verse 1. He says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has, had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. You guys pause right there. So Jesus, if you remember a couple months ago, we talked about this miracle where Jesus raised a dead man from the grave. His name was Lazarus. This was the miracle of miracles. 
right? Because he didn't just make a crippled man walk. He didn't just make a leper clean. He didn't just make a blind man see. He made a man whose heart had stopped beating. For four days it had stopped beating, and he made it beat again. This was the miracle of miracles. And so they're throwing a party for him in Bethany, this town called Bethany. They're celebrating not just Jesus, the miracle worker, but they're celebrating the, the, the new life that this guy Lazarus has. Now, verse 9, it goes on. John chapter 12, verse 9 says this. It says, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So these people uh, hear that Jesus is in town and that there's this party going on. And people have heard what he had done. They, they heard about this crazy miracle, but they wanted to come to see for themselves. They didn't want to just see the miracle worker Jesus. They wanted to see the one the miracle was performed on. They also wanted to see Lazarus if it was really true. Now, how many of us in here can really appreciate seeing the evidence of God's working in order to help us believe in the existence of God, right? I, I, I'll admit, I, I, I could really use something that I can see. I, I shared a few weeks ago on my Facebook page, and I know that not everybody's on Facebook, but, but I want to share today so that everybody can hear this amazing story, this testimony. A few weeks ago, I was doing a funeral, it was actually held in this church, but the person who passed wasn't a believer, wasn't a Christ follower, and the family wasn't either. They were just using our facilities. And so I knew that a lot of people who were going to be here at this funeral weren't Christ followers. And so out of respect for family, I didn't preach a full-on gospel message. I did include scripture, but, but I knew I wasn't going to give a full-on gospel presentation. So I prayed that morning as I'm getting ready for this funeral. I said, God, please Please send at least one person from the funeral to, to church this weekend. Because I, I was going to give the weekend that message. I knew I was going to fully present the gospel at church. So please, God, bring one. And then when I said amen, I was convicted. I'm like, ah, oh, my faith is so small. Like, really, this big God, only one? You're asking for one? So I felt convicted, so immediately my faith, I increased my faith by 100%. I said, God, please send two people from the funeral to church this weekend. And then as soon as I said amen, I felt convicted. I'm like, oh, my faith is so small, only two. And so I went out on a limb. I said, God, seriously, bring three people. Bring three people. And, and I, that was a real prayer. And I, I, I wanted to, to go out in faith, but at the same time, to be honest, I wanted to be careful because I didn't want to set myself up for disappointment. I just wanted to be realistic. God, three people. Well, that morning I, gave, uh, I did the funeral, and as I'm getting ready for church that evening, I, I get a text from Alan Hamada. And Alan Hamada texts me. Here's what he said. This is the actual screenshot. He said, I had a friend Maria tell me today. It's actually Marie. It was a typo. I'm coming to your church. Praise God. I hope I see her tomorrow. And I, I replied, I said, wow, I pray that God would bring three people from the funeral to visit our church. Two more people, ha ha. And so like, I'm like excited getting this. And so, uh, you know, we had Friday night, uh, Saturday night service and then later I get a text from Scott. Scott's right here. He was at the funeral too. And he texted me, hey, praise God. Somebody told me from the funeral that they're coming to church tomorrow. 
I said, yes, that's two. We're, we're, we got two. We're, we're, we just need one more. And then I found out that the person he was talking about was the same as Alan. And so <laughs> I'm back to one. I still need two more people. And so the, the next morning, I did the 9 a.m. service. Hadn't met anybody from the funeral yet. And then the last service, 11 a.m., I give the message, and then we're in the lobby, and I get introduced to this lady. This lady comes up to me, and she says, oh, my gosh, God is doing so many crazy things. She's like, I was supposed to work this weekend. I was supposed to be at work, but somebody asked if we could switch our schedules. So I was freed up, which allowed me to go to Auntie Linda's funeral. I was at the funeral, and when I was there, something was happening inside my heart. God was stirring, and it made her want to come to this church, the church that would meet here that weekend. So she came. And she's sitting in, in these seats right here, and she had recently lost her father, and that's something she was grieving, and, and people were telling her, you need to talk to someone. You need a support group or something. And she's saying, I'm sitting here, and then the MC comes up and says, hey, we have grief share at this church. If you lost a loved one, come out to our meeting this afternoon. And she's like, oh my gosh, like God knows what I need, and he's like bringing me here to give me what I need. She says, that's amazing. And then, and, then, and then the message started. And if you were here a few weeks ago, that's the, one, that's the message where I came. And I shared with you guys some of the struggles that I've had with marriage and with ministry. And by the way, let me just say, can I thank you guys, Monica and I, from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you guys for the overwhelming encouragement and support, the letters, the texts, the messages. Um, the offers for babysitting that you guys have really come forward with. And, and more than anything, I think it overwhelms us because it shows us that you are who we knew you, you were, that, that we can truly just be real with who we are, and we're not going to be judged, and you guys just come with overwhelming love and support. And so thank you guys for that. But she was here, and she heard that being shared from the pulpit, and she told me in the lobby, she says, that was so refreshing because from where I came from, people always seemed to have to be perfect. People seemed to always have to have it together. It was almost hypocritical, and that very thing kept her from church. She said, God is drawing me back. And as she's telling me these testimonies, I'm getting goosebumps. And then I say to her, I say, you're telling me how God is answering your prayers? You're an answer to my prayer. At least a third answer to my prayer. I prayed for three people to come from the funeral of the church. You're one of three. And as we're talking, in the midst of that conversation, two more ladies come over to the conversation. And they say, we were at the funeral too. Bam! Boom shakalaka, right? <laughs> Who's your daddy? Well, Yahweh's my daddy. He hears my prayers and he knows what we need. And it helps me when I'm able to see the things that God is doing, how many of you guys can use something that you can see? Well, our nature, to be honest, sometimes we rely on that. And, and for the Jews, here they are. They heard about Jesus. They heard a man was raised, and they had to see it for themselves. And, and so they come, and they, they come to Bethany. They see Lazarus, and it did something to them. I want to ask you again, what brings you to Jesus? What, what brought you to him? What are you looking for from him? 
And I'm willing to bet for a majority of us, if we think about what that reason was, for a lot of us, we're like the Jews in John chapter 12. Because we hear about this, this person, this, this God who can do something powerful, and we want to see for ourselves if he can do what everyone says he can do. Maybe he can meet my need. Many of these Jews, they did just that. They flocked to Jesus. They saw that he really had this miraculous power, and when they saw it with their own eyes, they were pumped. These people were pumped, not, not just because he was able to perform miracles, but really, it's what these miracles implied about this person, Jesus. Because they're thinking to themselves, could this be the Messiah that our scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures told us about? The word Messiah means the chosen one, the anointed one. And it was, it was a title used for kings. And the, the, the prophets in their scriptures prophesied that in the future you will have a king. You will have a Messiah that God will send from heaven to earth. And so they're thinking, could this be our Messiah, our Savior? But when they're thinking Savior, they're not, just, they're not thinking a spiritual Savior as we think about a Savior. They're thinking a political Savior. Could this be our Savior who's going to save us and deliver us from the rule of the Romans? See, at that time, the Jews, every single Jew lived under the authority of the Roman government. And it was a bitter time for them because their identity was stripped away. They no longer were their own people or their own nation. They belonged to the Romans. And so they're looking for this promised one who will come and be their king. They don't want a Roman king. They want their own Jewish king. And so these Jews at the party, they see this guy with miraculous power. Obviously, he has authority and power. Obviously, he's from heaven. This could be our guy. So they're at this party. They're fist pumping. I think this is him. This is our Messiah. This is our king. And that night, that Saturday night, the evening ended. Everybody went back to their own homes. And they probably went down to sleep with smiles on their faces. We found our guy. The next morning, this is where our story begins. The sun rises and the sun rises, and he gets ready as he walks into this great city of Jerusalem. It's Sunday morning, March 29th, AD 33, the first day of the last week of his life. They call it Palm Sunday. See, because crowds got up as well, and they rushed to the streets. And everybody was making their way to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the place where they were going to hold this big annual feast called the Passover. And, and the Passover, let me explain to you, was this great festival where the Jews gathered. Everybody makes a pilgrimage and a trek to Jerusalem to celebrate that time in their history thousands of years ago when God delivered the, the people of Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. Pharaoh ruled over the, the, the Jews, and he enslaved them bitterly. It was a bitter time in their history, and yet God sent this messenger, Moses, to rescue them from Egypt and bring them into the promised land. And so that's what the Passover was about. Every year, faithfully, they would celebrate this festival. This, this festival. And as they think back to what God did when he delivered them from the Egyptians, they're looking forward to the possibility that God would do it again, that he will rescue them from the rule of the Romans 
like he rescued them from the rule of the Egyptians. And they're thinking, perhaps today is the day. Perhaps today is the day. Everything was coming together. All the signs are pointing to this man, Jesus. He has to be the one. He has to be the Messiah. And so that's why everybody flocked to the streets to welcome him with palms in their hands on that Sunday morning. Here's what it says. John chapter 12, verse 12. The story continues. Since the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, circle that word, branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Would you circle Hosanna? Verse 14, it says, and Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. That's referring to the Jews. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Would you go in verse 14 and circle that word donkey? Circle that word donkey. And I had you circle these words because everything in this story is clearly telling us who these Jews believe Jesus is. He is the king, the Messiah who has come to rescue us from the Romans and to be our earthly Jewish king. Let me show you and unpack some of these clues. Okay, so if you have your notes, I'd love for you to follow along. Um, fill this in. Number one, palms in the air were symbols representing nationalism and victory. Palms in the air were symbols representing nationalism and victory. I'll give you a moment to fill that in. But years, years before this, about 150 years earlier, there was a time in, in, the, in Jewish history where the Jews were being threatened, not by the Romans, but by the Greeks. The, the Seleucid Empire was trying to take over and trying to infiltrate Jewish culture with, with Hellenistic Greek culture. And, and the Jews didn't like this. They were, they were being oppressed. And so one guy in particular stands up, Judas Maccabeus. He says, we're not, we're not doing this. And so he raises up a Jewish army, and they revolt against the Seleucid Empire. They stand up, and they go to war, and they're able to reclaim the city of Jerusalem and their temple. And as they rededicate the Jewish temple, they celebrate. And how do they celebrate? Well, it says they took palm branches. This is from the history books. They took palm branches and started waving them as they commemorated the victory, and they celebrated their nationalistic pride and the triumph over the Seleucid Empire. In fact, those palm branches became a symbol of victory. They even minted palms on coins. Here's an example of coins that they minted, and these coins were used during the Jewish wars against the Romans as the Romans were starting to come in. And so here we are, as they're on the streets, Jesus is coming into town, and intentionally, they find palm branches, cut them off, and start waving them in the air. Why? Because we're celebrating victory. Triumph over the Romans. Our king is here. So palms in the air were symbols representing nationalism and victory. And as they're waving these palms in the air, you hear cries from the crowd, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! And both John and Matthew and the other gospel writers tell us that that can be distinctly heard from their cries. Hosanna. I want to show you Matthew 21. This is Matthew's account from his gospel. 
He says, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. It was a shout that meant save us now. Would you guys write that in for number two? Hosanna in the highest was a shout meaning save us now. They were speaking Greek at the time, and Hosanna is the transliteration of a Hebrew phrase, Hoshiana, Hoshiana, and that means save us. Now, it, it comes from an old psalm hundreds of years earlier. It, it's a messianic prophecy from the book of Psalms. Now, messianic prophecy, basically, that's a prophet uh, who writes and, and prophesies that there's going to be a coming Messiah. That's why we call it Messianic prophecy. And in Psalm 118, this is one of the most famous Jewish Messianic prophecies. It says this, save us, O Lord. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, o Lord we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and those two words, save us, in the Hebrew, because that's what it was written, it, it says, Hoshiana, Hoshiana. And so these Jews in Jesus' time, in John chapter 12, they're quoting directly Psalm 118. They're taking this messianic prophecy, save us now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they're crying it out as Jesus is coming. They're attributing this prophecy of a coming Messiah to this guy, Jesus, as he's coming into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, imagine I want you to imagine you're there in the first century. You're part of that crowd. You're one of the Jews, and you're excited, and you have your own palm branch, and you're waving it in there, and you're crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the Son of David. And you're doing this, and, and you can't even see the street because there's so many people in front of you that you're trying to get a view of the coming king, and you can't wait till he comes right in front of you, this mighty conquering king on his mighty war horse, this grand stallion with his big old horse thighs and veins coming out of this horse and this long, beautiful mane that he rides in. And, and you're just, you can't wait to see this conquering king. And finally he makes his way and you look and you, you, you see this king riding on a, a donkey. Like serious? A donkey? And not just that, verse 14 says, not just a donkey, a young donkey. This, this donkey junior, like baby donkey, like really? This is our conquering king who's going to overthrow the Romans? You got to be kidding me. If, that, if I was there, like I'd be like, this is odd. This is really odd. This doesn't look right. I want to say it's either odd or, or it's God. It's God. See, because... Verse 15, he goes on to tell us that this actually goes to fulfill prophecy. Verse 15, he quotes from the Old Testament scriptures, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And that was a quote from Zechariah 9.9, an Old Testament prophecy hundreds of years before this time, saying, your king comes on a donkey's colt. So this, this guy Jesus coming on a donkey, it was divinely prophetic. God called it hundreds of years before. In actuality, to be honest, uh, 
kings from the Middle Eastern world at that time, they, they rode horses, they did, in association with war. A lot of times during wartime, they would come in on, on mighty horses, but it's not completely weird to see kings on donkeys. In fact, last week, remember we talked about King Solomon? And King Solomon, when he was being inaugurated, 1 Kings chapter 1, when he was being inaugurated, his father, King David, sent Solomon on a donkey as he was being crowned as king. So even though kings rode horses during wartime, a king can sometimes be found riding a donkey during times of peace. So would you guys write this down for number three? Riding on a donkey was a symbol representing peace and humility. Riding a donkey was a symbol representing peace and humility. So, so not only was riding on a donkey divinely prophetic, but I believe that it was divinely symbolic. Why? Why did Jesus come from heaven to earth? Well, he came to bring peace between God and man. That was his mission, to bring peace between God and man. Now, I, I've shared this a few years back, and it's so fascinating to me. I don't mind sharing it again. How many of you guys know that on every donkey on this earth, stretching from his head down to his tail, from shoulder to shoulder, there's this distinct mark on every donkey. Have you guys seen it before? Let me show you a picture. This is what it looks like. There's a cross on every donkey from head to his donkey, from shoulder to shoulder, there, there's a cross. Now, I know you guys are pulling out your phones, Google imaging donkey. Go ahead. Go, go do it. Every donkey has this. This is amazing to me. This is either odd or it's God. It's either crazy coincidence or it's divinely designed. And my belief, I think the creator has divinely designed this mark on a donkey, a, a donkey, an animal that represents peace, bears on his back a cross. Now, can I bring to your attention that up to this point in history, the cross was not a symbol of peace. It wasn't. When people saw a cross, it was a symbol of torture. It was, it was cruel punishment. It was execution, violent execution of criminals, of thieves, of murderers, of robbers. You look at a cross that day, you don't think peace. It's like us looking at an electric chair. You see an electric chair, you don't think peace. You think violent death. Yet this donkey has on his back not just a distinct mark of a cross. He has on his back this man named Jesus who later on that week would bear on his back from his head to his feet, from shoulder to shoulder, a cross. And he would bear this as he would try to make his way to this hill called Calvary, Golgotha, to turn that instrument of violent punishment into a symbol of peace. Why? Because he was violently executed in our place because of our sins, so that we would experience the peace between God and man. And from that point on, that, that symbol on a donkey became a symbol of peace. And, and so that's either odd or it's God. I, by my faith, I, I, I say it's God. And so Jesus rides in to Jerusalem on this humble donkey, not exactly what the people had in mind for a conquering king who's gonna come and overthrow the Romans, 
But they wanted a king. We don't care. They wanted to be delivered. We want our identity back. So if he's got to come on a donkey, then come on. We're desperate. We'll take anything. Come. And so they're cheering and praising. Palms in the air. Cloaks on the ground. Hosanna in the highest. Save us now. Save us now. That was Palm Sunday. That was Palm Sunday. And how quickly people's opinions of Jesus can change. How fickle our faith can be. Why? Because shouts of Hosanna, praise him on Sunday morning become shouts of crucify him, nail him to the cross by Friday evening. Praises on that morning become curses on that Friday evening. Cheers from the crowd become jeers from the crowd within the span of one week. What happened? How could they be so excited about this guy and then so excited to have him crucified? What went wrong? I started off today's message and I asked you that question, what brings you to Jesus? Or what brings you to church? What, what, what keeps you here? And I asked because, honestly, I want, I want to get to the bottom of this with you guys. I'm not trying to be annoying by asking that question over and over, but I want to get to the bottom of it. Because at the bottom of it, we find our greatest motivation for everything we do. At the bottom of it is our motivation. And, and I, I think this is really a matter of life and death. For example, let me give you an example of what I mean. Let's get to the bottom of this. I might ask you, what brought you to Jesus? And you might say, well, I'm, I want to save my marriage. We're on the brink of divorce, and I need divine help. And I'd say that's a great reason to come, but let's, let's, let's look at that. Let's peel away at the layers. What's underneath that? What's driving that? What's motivating that? Well, honestly, I'd be okay, but I don't want to ruin my life for my kids. I don't want my kids to grow up with two parents in two separate homes. And I'd say, that, that, that's good, that's good, let, let's, let's peel away a layer, what's underneath that, what drives that? Well, well, because I don't want them to have a hard life. Okay, well, let's peel away another layer, what's underneath that, what drives that? Well, because ultimately, I want to know that I was a good parent to my kids, and, and that I gave them the best life possible. I'd say, great, is there anything underneath that? Can we peel any layers away? Well, I don't know, I just, I, I, I want to I wanna live a life where I'm not seen as a failure and I, I have no regrets and no shame. And as we peel away at the layers and we try to get to the bottom of a lot of our needs and motivations, I believe we will find self at the bottom of it. Somehow this is beneficial to myself. Let me give you another example. Maybe you're here because you're like, I have an addiction. And, and it's killing me, and I, I want help with my addiction. I'd say that's a great reason to be here. But let's peel away a layer. What's underneath that? What's driving it? Well, because I don't want to ruin my relationships anymore, and I don't want to ruin my health anymore. Okay, is there anything underneath that? And we could keep peeling away at layers, under layers. What's at the bottom of it? And you might ultimately conclude, because really, I just want to live a long and happy and healthy life with people that I love. And that's not bad, but at the bottom of it, let's be honest, what do you find? You find a self-ish kind of reason. It's a self-centered motivation. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but that's the reality. It's centered around me. 
myself. And if that's all we ever do in life is serve ourselves, even coming to Jesus and, and coming to church to serve ourselves, then, then who is our God? It's not God with a capital G. It's a God with a lowercase g, and that God's name is self. It's a very self-centered religion, even with the disguise of Christianity. I look at the Jews. Why? Why did the Jews change their opinions of Jesus so quick in that day? So quick. Why? Well, well they said, we want a king. On that Palm Sunday, we want a king. Well, good. <clears throat> Let's peel away the layers. Why do you want a king? What's driving that? Because we want to be delivered from the Romans. We don't want to be under their rule anymore. Okay, what's under that? Let's peel under that. Well, because we want our nation back. We want to be our own rulers. Okay, what's underneath that? And at the bottom of it all, really what it came down to was we want our own identity. We want our pride restored, which isn't bad. But it never got deeper than that. Their need for Jesus and their love for Jesus in this moment never got <clears throat> any deeper than that. And the need for God himself was nowhere to be found. They didn't want Jesus so that Jesus' name would be lifted high in their lives. They wanted Jesus so that their own name would be lifted high in their lives. We are the Jews. We are the nation of Israel. They wanted Jesus just to be an earthly king. Jesus wanted to come to be their heavenly eternal king. They wanted Jesus just to save them from the Romans. Jesus wanted to come to save them from their sins. They wanted Jesus just to save them right now, just now. Jesus wanted to save them for eternity. He wanted to be their forever king. And unfortunately, when they didn't get what they wanted from Jesus, they wanted to get rid of Jesus. Jesus himself was not enough. A relationship with the king of heaven wasn't enough. It wasn't what they wanted. And they re when they realized by the end of that week that Jesus wasn't going to conquer the Romans like they, they had hoped, that he wasn't going to meet that need, then their shouts of, Hosanna, bless him, became, crucify him, nail him to the cross. We don't need him anymore. What brings you to Jesus? Like, like why, why did you come to him? Honestly, like really, let the Holy Spirit remind you of that reason. Maybe, maybe you came because you needed a job or you needed a cure to cancer. Or maybe you wanted your kids to grow up with good values. Or maybe you wanted to grow up with good friends. Maybe you came because you lost a loved one. Or maybe you came because you're looking for someone to love. And those are all legitimate reasons. I don't want to minimize anybody's reason for coming because I want to say this. Please don't mishear my heart. Any reason that causes you to seek Jesus is a good reason. There is no bad reason for coming. I would say bring it. If there's anybody you should look to is Jesus. Maybe you're that guy and you're here because you think the girl down your row is cute. That's why you're here this morning. I want to say welcome to church. I'm glad you're here. You need to be here, brother. Maybe that's you, and I want to say there's no bad reason if it causes you to come and hear from Jesus. But let me say this, now that you've come with all your needs and wants, can I tell you what Jesus wants? 
Jesus wants to get to the bottom of it all. He wants to get to the bottom, the depths of your hearts where self is typically found. He wants to be found there. He wants to replace self with another God, himself. He wants to be your deepest, most desperate desire. Because all of us, every single one of us, you and me, all of us, we have a much deeper need than we realize our needs are. We have a need much deeper than that. We have this deep need, and it's the forgiveness of our God. We have this sin that separates us from the very one who created us with love to have a love relationship with us, and yet that sin cuts us off, and we are spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead, and we're all in the same place, and what Jesus came to do was to deal with our deepest issue, sin. And he came to fill our deepest need. A life with God, eternity with God, joy with God, forgiveness in God, peace with God. So I don't know what your reason is, but let me tell you this, much more deadly than cancer, much more darker than depression, more, more, more destructive than the disease is, is our sin because that has eternal consequences. And so Jesus, the Messiah, he came and he bore on his back this cross and he took upon the violent execution for our sin. He dealt with it, why? So that we would have peace with God. He died on Good Friday and he rose on Easter Sunday to bring that peace, and that's why we all need King Jesus. That's why we're desperately in need of him. He wants to come and rule and reign in our hearts. He wants to be found there at the bottom, at the center, at the core of it all. So friends, whether or not you get your needs met, and I pray you do, you know, First Peter says, cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. So bring it to him, but, but let, me, let me say this more importantly, whether or not you ever get what you need or what you want, I pray that you would know Jesus is enough. He is enough. Why? Because he is the only one sufficient to do what only he could do and care for our sins. You know, at the beginning of this message, I'll close with this. I told you about a, a, a lady who came to church because church helped her son behave. When she brought her, her son, this toddler who got kicked out of all these schools to a Christian preschool, all of a sudden it worked. He behaved, and it was working for the kids, so it worked for them as a family. They went to church, and it was good, but when the kid grew up, he stopped liking the kids at church. He didn't care for them anymore, so he didn't want to go to church anymore. And because he didn't want to go to church and it wasn't working anymore for him, they stopped going to church altogether. Until this day, they still don't walk with Jesus. I told you about this guy who came to church because of a relationship. His, this, this girl that he liked said, I, I don't want to be with you unless you're a Christian. Boom, became a Christian, started getting involved for years, got involved with the church. And then it broke my heart. Broke my heart when they broke up. Why? Not so much that they broke up, but when they broke up, he stopped coming to church. And not just our church, church period. And it's been over 15 years until this day, he doesn't walk with Jesus. And it's like his, his love for Jesus and his relationship with Jesus was as alive and healthy as his relationship with this girl. And as soon as she was out of his life, so was Jesus. 
I don't need him anymore. He served his purpose. And he no longer walks with Jesus. I told you about this, this, this lady who is sharing her baptism testimony. She says, God, give me a sign. Show me that you're real. And, and she feels this tug on the rod, and she, she reels in a fish, and it's the biggest fish of her life. And she told the church, that's how I know that God is real, and that's why I'm giving my life to Christ. And everybody was applauding and, and nodding and smiling, saying, yes, God is real. And I was clapping, and I was smiling. And I believe that was God. I believe God was meeting her. But in my heart, I, I had this distinct thought. As I'm clapping, as I'm smiling, I'm thinking, but is that fish the only reason why you come to Jesus? Because years went on, and same story, she stopped walking with the Lord. She stopped going to church altogether. And I wondered if anybody in our church loved her enough to tell her that Jesus came from heaven to earth to give you something so much greater than a big fish. Like he came to give you the forgiveness of your sins, the redemption of your life. He came to give you peace with God, eternity with your Savior. That, that's why we come. That's why we come. And church, I pray that we would all see that we we're in the same boat. We are desperately in need of him. And if we don't understand that Christ and Christ alone is our deepest need, then one day I fear that forever, for whatever reason, when cancer comes back or you lose your job again or people are hypocritical and jerkheads or when you lose that, lost, that loved one that you found here at the church, I fear that you too may walk away thinking, well, I don't need Jesus anymore. Which is a very nice way of saying, crucify him. Nail him to the cross. We don't need him anymore. The, real, the realization, though, from Scripture is, Hosanna. He's the one who saves us. And when we realize that he is, he himself is our deepest need, then he will become our deepest joy, our, our greatest joy. Jesus came to rule and reign in our hearts to give us peace and satisfaction to the uttermost. And I want to say he is enough. And that's why Jesus came and rode into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday. Amen? Amen. I want to close and lead us into a time of communion. And I think this is just such an appropriate way for us to worship. Because that Thursday of Passion Week, the night before he is about to be killed and crucified, he gathered up his disciples together in a room, <clears throat> and he sat with them, and he said to them, this is from Luke 22, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He says, remember this. And the next day was Friday. And he took it to the, to, the, to the cross. 
had his body beaten and broken and his blood poured out so that they would be forgiven of their sins. So I want to give you guys this time to just quietly reflect as we worship and sing. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, I want to give you a moment. Just thank God that he is the one who meets and fulfills our needs. Bring your needs, whatever it is. Bring it to him, but then thank him for the deepest need that was met when he shed his blood and broke his body for you. And then when you're ready, whenever you want, come up to one of the stations around the room, up in the front on the sides. Take the bread in remembrance of him. Drink the juice in remembrance of him. You could deposit uh, the cups in these waste baskets we have. You don't have to bring it back to your seats. Just leave it there. If you need help because you're disabled or you're elderly or, or for whatever reason, you could just raise your hand and our ushers will bring it to you so you don't have to worry about that. But that's, that's what I want uh, you to do if you know Jesus. Now, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to abstain from this because by doing this, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross for you and you believe it with your, with your heart. So if you don't believe it, you don't need to do this. But I, I want to give you an opportunity. So when everybody's praying and coming forward, I'm going to be off to the side. Okay, and if you want to come today, right now, and say, you know what? I'm going to take that step of faith, and I'm going to ask for the forgiveness of my sins. The Bible says you believe by faith, then today, right now, you will be saved, and you will have eternity secure. So I want to walk you through that. I'll be on the side. I'll talk with you. Then I'll, I'll, I'll pray with you to express that. Then we'll take communion together because you acknowledge that, okay? So let me pray for this now, and then you guys come as you feel, feel led. And so, God, we thank you so much for the cross. That once it was a symbol of violent punishment, and yet that week you came to take that violent punishment on our behalf. You took our sins and you were executed for us in our place. And you did it to bring peace between our creator, our lover, God of heaven. And so Lord, we thank you that, that we have that peace that's promised to us, God. Lord, we want to take this bread and drink this juice to remember you and to honor you. And we, we want to do it with a thankful and worshipful heart, Lord. We ask that you would uh, just be glorified in our lives, Lord. And I pray for anybody who wants to make that decision today, Lord, that you would stir in their hearts, that you would give them courage and boldness to come and pray and receive, Lord. So, Lord, we worship you now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.